0: Uh, All right, let's jump in this morning. So I have the uh, privilege of introducing our new series, okay? And we're going to be speaking about this throughout the month of February. And this new series is going to really be about emotions and their place in our faith. Now, although a little out of the blue, when the decision was made to have me be the first to speak on this topic, I attributed it to great wisdom, on behalf of our staff, that it was just a wise decision to have me up here, and uh, it's given me great confidence, honestly, great confidence as uh, I've kind of been leading into this weekend. This last week at group, Wednesday night, I was in a uh, conversation with a good buddy of mine, has been, uh, let's see, a part of group maybe for two, maybe three years, He was asking, what's going on? What, you know, uh, what have you been doing this week? And I told him, oh, well, I'm actually speaking this weekend. And uh, and so I've been, you know, kind of spending some time prepping for it and and been a little bit more intentional in my study and and, uh, intentional in setting time aside to get ready for this. And he said, oh, man, that's really great. What are you talking about? And I said, oh, actually, I'm talking about emotions. And he looked at me, and it was one of those looks where somebody looks you in the eyes, but you know that they're looking directly into your soul at that point. And he replied, you? (laughs) Literally the most hurtful thing anybody has ever said to me. So needless to say, this morning, I'm a little less confident about uh, this wise decision to have me up here. But to be really, really honest and candid with everybody, uh, I am not the most emotional person. I don't have a lot of personal feelings about things. In fact, I would be honest to say I don't have a lot of highly emotional experiences to draw on when thinking about this topic. But over the course of the series, we're actually going to have four different speakers for this very reason. I speak this weekend and then the following three will each have a different voice from our community because we know that this is a very diverse topic. And that people approach their understanding and uh, their knowledge of emotions and live their life with their emotions in very, very different ways. And so we felt like it would be prudent to have four unique, different voices to bring light into this topic, okay? The hope is, as you are a part of this series over the course of the next couple of weeks, that you would be able to find wisdom and challenge and encouragement from uh, at least one of those where maybe you have shared personal experience, okay? Let me uh, pray, and then uh, we'll, we'll really jump in this morning. God, be with us this morning. Lord, quiet our hearts. Help us to be present and still in this moment. Lord, for... Those of us who maybe don't feel like they have a lot of emotions to the people that feel their whole life is based on their emotions, may we find common ground. May your words speak to us this morning. May we each individually be challenged to understand ourselves and to understand you in new ways. Be with us as we discuss this topic. Convict us where we need to be convicted. We thank you and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's start and we're going to watch uh, a quick video clip here. And I may need somebody to turn the lights off out there. So, how was the first day of school? It was Fine, I guess, I don't know. Do you ever look at someone someone and wonder wonder, what is going on inside their head? Did you guys pick up on that? Sure, Mm. something's wrong. We're gonna find out what's what's happening, happening. but we'll need support. support. Signal Signal the husband. husband. Uh Uh-oh, she's looking at us. What did she say? What? Oh, oh, sorry sir, no one was listening. Is it garbage night? Uh, we left the toilet seat up. What? What is it, woman, what? Signal him again. again, again, again. Ah, so Riley, how was school? Oh, you gotta be kidding me. For this, we gave up that Brazilian helicopter pilot? Was great, all right. What was that? I thought you said we were gonna act casual, Riley. Is everything okay, (sighs) sir? She just rolled her eyes at us. All right, right, make a show of force. force. I don't want to have to to put the foot foot down. No, No. not the foot, Riley. I do not like this new attitude. Oh, I'll show you attitude. No, 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 breathe. What is your problem? Just leave me alone. Sir, reporting high levels of sass. Take it to DEFCON 2. DEFCON 2! I don't know where this disrespectful attitude came from. You want a piece of this, Pops? Yeah. yeah, well, look! Well, well. Prepare the foot. Keys to safety position. Ready to launch on your command, sir. Just shut up! Fire! That's it. Go to your room. The foot is down. The foot is down. Yeah. Woo! So, how was the, how first, was the day first day of school? school. It was. It was, on, it was on. All right uh, for all of the kids. How many kids have seen that movie, Inside Out? Raise your hands. Thank you, adults, for raising your <laughs> hands too. Not following a ton of directions this morning. Uh, yeah, it, actually, I believe a couple of years ago at uh, family movie night we showed that movie. Uh, It is a, beyond the kind of remarkable uh, creativity of this movie, what Inside Out does really, really well is it shows us the nuance and complexity of human emotions. Gives us that inside look into how and why and when we feel the things that we feel, all right? We're going to do a little exercise this morning, and if you are a parent and your child is sitting next to you or an adult and there's a kid sitting next to you, I want you to help them with this. I'm going to show four or five words up here, emotional words. I want you to take a minute on your uh, program, write down the time or the event that happened when you felt this emotion and why you felt it this way. You don't have to do all four or five, maybe pick one or two. And I'm going to give you about 90 seconds. What happened and why you felt that way? All right, we're not going to actually use those this morning necessarily. You can just kind of hang on to them. But for some, these words just leap off the page, right? And you're immediately able to identify the situation that happened and why you felt that emotion in that moment. And, and in fact, in some instances, that emotion maybe even comes bubbling back up when you just look at that word, when you think about that situation. For others, it probably took some time that you really had to dig to remember or even process what you felt in that time about that certain thing. Now, regardless with the ease of which it comes to mind, this little exercise reminds us that emotions are a part of the human experience, that we all have them at varying degrees and depths. Now, I know this to be true because uh, even though I am not a very emotional person, I am married, happily married, to one of, if not the most emotional person in the entire world, my lovely wife, Grace. We experience life very, very differently. We feel things very differently. This reality brings different lenses to our lives. So I see things in a different way than she sees things. I process things in a different way than she does. And that's just the reality of our lives. And this kind of uh, emotional reality has now become a significant part of my life. Even though uh, before I met Grace, maybe I wouldn't have said that it would have. Uh, Just a quick illustration of this. About a year ago, we went to a family dinner at Tacate, which is a, a Mexican restaurant right in our neighborhood. I go to dinner on a Friday night to spend time with my family, uh, to enjoy being in relationship with one another, but primarily to eat chips and salsa because uh, they are quantifiably the greatest pairing of food in the history of mankind. And so uh, that's why I'm there, truly. And over the course of our dinner, uh, conversation begins, and we begin to talk about Grace's dad, uh, Grampies, as we call him in our family. Grampies in the early 90s, underwent a major heart surgery, and that has been a, uh, a moment in time, a situation in Grace's life that has shaped her in a lot of ways. And uh, his health, although he's in fine health now, his health has always been a concern. And somehow we got on the topic of Grampy's and when Grampy's dies. Now, anytime this topic comes up, uh, I don't even know what to do. Because uh, it inevitably gets way beyond my emotional control. And so this topic comes up. And I can right away see Grace welling up with tears, and I'm just trying to like quietly eat chips and not rock the boat at all. <clears throat> and I have this anticipation that yes, we'll have somebody crying at the dinner table, and that will be fine, and we'll make it through dinner. What I did not anticipate is then my oldest son, seeing his mom cry, then begins to cry as well. And so now I'm kind of in this situation like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what to do this is now a part of my life. This is a typical Friday night at the Longmire household where uh, two of us are crying and the other three are just eating chips wondering what in the world is going on. But this emotional reality now is my reality. It's where I live and it's the people that I care most about. It's who I live with. Emotional theory has long been one of the greatest areas of scientific and psychological study. How we feel, when we feel, why we feel these things, and the differences and complexities between individuals. Dating back to the first century China, (coughs) there was this thing called the Book of Rights. And in that uh, book, they identified seven basic human emotions. Inside Out has five basic human emotions that they kind of play off of. Uh, And then in the 20th century, this uh, researcher, this psychologist named Paul Ekman, one of the pioneers in the field, he begins to study facial expressions and how we as humans can look at a facial expression and understand a human emotion in that minute. We actually have a, a photo of this. So he identifies six basic human emotions that all have a facial expression that is attached to it. But in 1980... A guy named Robert Plutchek creates what's called the emotional wheel, and it details that humans share eight basic and polar opposite emotions, each with the capacity to differ in intensity and depth of feeling. This is this visual here. I know that you can't really read that, and that is okay. It's more uh, an image that there are, let's say, eight basic human emotions that are polar opposite of one another. The uh, picture in the upper left-hand corner is the fact that they can be felt at a surface level and then all the way they vary in depth and intensity that you can feel them, all right? Now, remove all this from your brain because this is not really what we're talking about this morning other than the fact that we have some basic human emotions that we all share. And what's important to remember is that we share these things across ethnicity and race and religion and background, and experience. If you are a human being, you share this with the human being that you were sitting next to. And so if that is a true statement, then we cannot overlook how these emotions play a part in our understanding of faith, in our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We were created with great intentionality, the psalmist says this, for you, were created my, or for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God's design and plan for us was to be creatures with emotion, to feel things just beyond physical stimulus, to at times be elated by joy, moved in anger, still In sadness. Our emotions are what provide depth and richness and beauty to our lives. They are indicators of how we are in a given moment, but they can also be powerful motivators. In large part, I would say that our emotions cannot be controlled. Something happens, or as my wife tells me, nothing necessarily has to happen, and you just begin to feel something you begin to feel sad, you begin to have joy in your heart. And so that's indicating our emotional state. We honestly don't have that much sway over this. Things happen and we begin to feel a certain way. Now where we get tr- uh, caught and where we can get into trouble is if that specific emotion begins to motiva- motivate us towards action. All right. The average kid, I think, is a really good specimen uh, to look at when we want to understand this. In one moment, there can be beautiful freedom and joy, unrelenting inquisitiveness and happiness and wonder at the possibilities, and that could, in theory, lead that little boy to pretend to ice skate on their grandparents' freshly poured cement foundation for grandpa's new shop, okay? And in the next moment, there could be a deep sense of loss and sadness and terror and fear for what that emotion just led them to do. That could, in theory, make that child go and hide behind their grandpa's nightstand in the second bedroom so as not to get caught, right? Not that that was a situation that played out in my life ever or anything, But what we see in children is the fact that emotion is real, it's raw, it's experienced, it's not tempered, it's not pushed down, it's never covered up, it's lived out and embraced in the moment, in real time. What they feel is what you get. Jesus says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There are any number of reasons Jesus could have been instructing us to become like the little children, but I believe one of them is because children are incredibly honest with their emotions. What they feel, they will let you know in word and in action. There's no posturing with little kids. There's no covering up. There is no fear that their emotion would lead others away. They have a trust in themselves and a confidence in their being able to be loved even through their emotions. There is something to really admire about that. The unfiltered emotional response of a child is incredibly honest and it's incredibly true to self. People, adults, That are emotionally honest and vulnerable are some of the most encouraging, most mature people I know. The people that you just want to be around. They're different. And we know those people when we meet them. This, I believe, is the emotional honesty and vulnerability that I believe is expected in the kingdom. This is what Jesus desires of us. Emotional honesty and emotional vulnerability. However, it's not always appropriate to act upon the feelings that we have. Indicators don't always make great motivators. And in fact, I'd make a strong statement and say, I think it's safe to say that we probably shouldn't act upon most of the feelings that we have. C.S. Lewis says this, unless you teach your moods where they get off, you can never either You can never be either a sound Christian or even a sound atheist, but just a creature dithering to and fro, with its beliefs really dependent on the weather and the state of digestion. Lewis's tongue-in-cheek response to our moods implies that we must control our emotional response and responses to the things around us. This is where I believe Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians when he says this, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. This is where reading scripture gets interesting, because in one page we're told to be like a child, and yet in another to do away with childish things. What is required is maturity in Christ so that we can hold these two things in tension. We can chart a middle ground somehow. Doing away with childish things doesn't mean doing away with emotions, it means doing away with destructive emotional responses. Discipleship helps us to chart this middle ground where we can be emotionally honest and vulnerable while prudent and controlled in our responses. Now, historically, humans have struggled to find middle ground, right? Our tendency always is to take something and run it to the far, far extreme as fast as we possibly can. This is why a singular hot dog on the 4th of July is a good thing, and yet eating 55 in under two minutes at the Nathan's hot dog eating contest is disgusting we take things to the extreme. Now I can see this truth in our understanding of emotional, our emotional uh, reality as well. It Seems to me like either people live in a world where they are unwilling to engage or just flat out repress their emotions so as not to be vulnerable. Because they're fearful of being hurt or fearful of looking weak or fearful of being caught. Or the other extreme is living into a situation where emotions become the absolute reality and that every thought and action is justified because they just felt a certain way. I did this or I said this because I felt this. These two extremes are not only dangerous to ourselves and our relationships, but they are destructive to our ability to follow Christ in the way that he invites us to. If we never allow ourselves to feel, then our relationships, and and specifically our relationship with the divine will become robotic, will become calloused, will be driven purely by rational thinking. But if we allow emotions to only lead, then our obedience to the call will become an issue of discipline And our pursuit of Jesus will suffer throughout all of our different emotional responses. Some of us here in this room this morning are drowning in one of these extremes. Some have closed themselves off from others and are leading their lives completely and entirely emotionally isolated from people, maybe from the people that you love most while others find themselves enslaved to their oscillating feelings and in moments often make destructive choices based on those emotions alone the only thing that can pull us back to the middle to the middle ground i believe we need to find is a tethering point something that keeps us from going too far in one direction paul i think speaks to this in 1 corinthians 5:14 And 15 when he says this, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. That's from the NIV, from the ESV it says for the love of Christ controls us. Our emotions cannot be what control us. Our rational thought cannot be what tethers us. Only the love of Christ. This is what compels our thoughts. This is what controls our actions. Bloom says God designed your emotions to be gauges, not guides. They're meant to report to you, not dictate you. Our emotions shouldn't inform our faith, nor should our faith seek to eradicate our emotions. They are parallel tracks working together for beauty and richness and depth, but they are always, always, always guided by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. To enter the kingdom as a child while simultaneously putting away childish things necessitates maturing in Christ and living a life. Of discipleship. It calls us to a depth of understanding of our emotions, why we have them, when we have them. Right in the what, in the bathroom? Yeah. Thank you. Let's just take them right to the back there. Thanks, Carl. <coughs> you find my spot here. <coughs> it calls us to a depth of understanding for our emotions, why we have them, when we have them, all while knowing when is it appropriate to act upon them. So what might this really look like? I thought it might be helpful to give a couple of real life ways that this might play out, where we might be somebody who enters the kingdom like a child while is able to do away with childish things. Here's the first one. If your team loses in the Super Bowl today, it is okay to feel disappointed. It's okay to have feelings of sadness. Taking the next two days off of work and neglecting your family and responsibilities is not appropriate. It is Christ's love and the reality that he died for all that reminds us of the temporal nature of our lives and sometimes the temporal nature of the things that we get hung up on and can help us move through our disappointment and move through our sadness. When a loved one is mourning or experiencing sorrow, the community is called to be emotionally present in that moment, to empathize, to seek understanding. It's not okay to try and change someone for the purposes of emotional efficiency. Christ's life and death was driven by his love for us, and it's this love that should guide us to be still with others when they need us to be present. Number three, if you are moved to feelings of anger over an injustice that you see, it's totally appropriate to seek ways to right that injustice. It's okay to use that anger to seek change. It's not okay to enact retribution or to chase revenge. Christ's love never results in violence His love takes our anger and replaces it with action for the betterment of all. Number four, falling in love with a boyfriend or girlfriend is natural and one of the greatest feelings. It's okay to think about that person often. It's okay to be distracted and overcome with excitement at their presence. It's okay to want to express your love physically. It is not okay to do away with boundaries. It's incredibly destructive to give your whole self to that person before making a marriage commitment. The intimacy and validation and love that you are seeking in that moment is only ever found in the love of Christ, which we see most clearly on the cross. Number five, living a life solely On the guidance of your emotions is a dangerous proposition and you'll never find what you were looking for and you will likely leave a wake of destruction. Although they are real and true, emotions are not the best guides and they were never intended to be what tethers us to our reality. It is Christ's love that is our tethering point. It is Christ's love which should control us. Let me conclude with this last little thing. And let me ask a question first. Kids, are you still with me? You are, all right. (laughs) Here's a question specifically for you. How many people, how many kids, adults don't raise your hands. How many kids like roller coasters? Raise your hand. That's maybe half of our kids, all right? Okay. Okay, I know all the adults want to weigh in too. How many adults like roller coasters? Raise your hands. Okay. How many adults used to like roller coasters, but now when you get on them get vertigo like Julie? <laughs> <So> <laughs> cool. It's cool becoming an adult, everybody. <clears throat> I think there is a reason the phrase emotional roller coaster is a common one in our vernacular. You get into the roller coaster and the bars come down and they secure you to the seat and then there's that long, slow ascent, right? And it's just kind of building that anticipation and then that huge face-melting drop as you come in and you are no longer in control at all and you're going sideways and loop-de-loos and upside down and all of that crazy, crazy stuff. And all that you can do in that moment is throw up your hands and scream like a child. And you just wait until it's over. That truly is a pretty good analogy for our emotions. If you never get on the roller coaster, you're missing out. You're a curmudgeon. And you'll never experience depth and richness that you were created to experience. And although you might be proud of your emotional efficiency, like I oftentimes am, that does not mean that you are emotionally well. If you never get off the roller coaster, you're gonna get sick, and you're that weirdo that takes the turn from the little kid that's next in line. It was never intended to become a place to stay. It was always something that you get on, you enjoy the ride, and then there's a time where you get off and find solid ground. We have a choice. We have a choice to get on the roller coaster. We have a choice to get off the roller coaster. And the roller coaster is a great, great, wonderful, wonderful thing. But it cannot be what tethers you. It was never intended to be that. Our emotions cannot be what drive us because we will never get to where we want to go. C.S. Lewis says this, and I'll, uh, I'll kind of close with this. It is quite right that you should feel that something terrific has happened to you. Accept these sensations with thankfulness as birthday cards from God, but remember that they are only greetings, not the real gift. I mean that it is not the sensations that are the real thing. The real thing is the gift of the Holy Spirit, which can't usually be, perhaps not ever, experienced as a sensation or emotion. The sensations are merely the response of your nervous system. Do not depend on them. Otherwise, when they go and you are once more emotionally flat, as you certainly will be quite soon, you might think the real thing had gone too. But it won't. It will be there when you can't feel it. It may even be most operative when you feel it the least. Emotions are at best indicators of what's going on, of how we feel or don't feel about something, but they were never intended to control us. This is why we tether ourselves to the love of Jesus Christ, for it alone compels us to how we relate with ourselves and how we relate with the world around. This morning is indeed just an introduction to the topic, an overview of some basic ideas. And I want you to keep in the back of your mind throughout the next month this idea of what does it really mean to be tethered to Jesus Christ, to his love. How does that play out in your life? We're going to study over the next three weeks some specific emotions and how we might uh, experience these things in a way that augment our faith, that help us to better relate with each other while keeping ourselves tethered to what's truly important. Would you stand with me?